Man, time flies. It was, it seems like it was just yesterday that I had lunch with Garrett and uh, we sat down and talked and he asked me, so what are your plans? What are you, what are you thinking about? I know you desire to plant a church and how are you thinking through these next uh, couple years? And, um, and I, I knew at that time that I had a strong desire to serve in pastoral ministry. Um, I had no idea that it would be here at Delray, and little did I know the, uh, the joy that the Lord would provide through this church. Um, on behalf of uh, Blair and Sage and Ezra and Maya, uh, we just want to say thank you, Delray Baptist Church. Uh, we love you and are very uh, grateful for uh, what the Lord has done in you, in us, through you. And uh, we have a strong degree of confidence in our God that he's going to continue to do great things through you as a church. I'm going to try to hold it together as much as I can, um, but uh, we, we love you guys deeply, and we're very thankful uh, for you. I'm going to read from Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read one verse. It's verse 8. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. This is God's word. (laughs) Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. Your word is true. Your word is truth. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your kindness to us in giving us the word of God. Lord, we pray uh, that you would Provide open and attentive ears, free us from distraction. And we pray that as your word is proclaimed, that you would help us all to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as your word goes forth, we pray that the Spirit of God would use the word of God to reveal the Son of God. And that you would do it once again for the sake of of your beautiful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you knew that your time on earth was about to end and you wanted to communicate one last thing, what would you say? History is filled with accounts of people's dying words. And it's interesting to read them because you get a sense of their state of mind and their priorities as they face their last moments on earth. So, for example, as 
Benjamin Franklin lay dying at the age of 84, his daughter told him to change position in the bed so that he could breathe more easily. And Benjamin Franklin's last words were, a dying man can do nothing easily. When abolitionist Harriet Tubman was dying in 1913, she gathered her family around her and they sang together. And her last words were, swing low, sweet chariot. Filmmaker Alfred Hitchcock in his last words said, quote, one never knows the ending. One has to die to know exactly what happens after death, although Catholics have their hopes. Actress Joan Crawford, perhaps most sadly, when she was dying, she yelled at her housekeeper who was praying as she died. And Joan Crawford cursed her and said, don't you dare ask God to help me. And then she died. What about you? What would you say if you knew that it was the last thing that you would ever say? Well, in our passage this morning, we find the Apostle Paul writing his final letter as he awaited execution in Rome. And this letter is directed to his protege, Timothy. And the purpose of the letter is to encourage Timothy to stand firm in the face of opposition and persecution. And so it seems that Paul is reminding Timothy that the suffering that he's experiencing is not accidental, but is actually a part of his calling. And so one of the very first things that he tells Timothy in this letter is found in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so this theme of not being ashamed of the gospel and being willing to suffer for the gospel continues throughout the letter. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 5, he tells Timothy to endure suffering. And so what we find here in chapter 2, verse 8, is Paul reminding Timothy not only of the reason for Paul's suffering, but the only power that will support him and Timothy and anyone else in the midst of that suffering. And so as I preach here at Del Rey, at the end of my time here, I can't think of any more fitting exhortation than what we find in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. We're going to look at each one of these phrases because each phrase is precious. And so if you're taking notes, the points will be each phrase. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. First, remember Jesus Christ. This idea of remembering is a continual theme in scripture. And that's because 
we all have spiritual amnesia. That is, we learn things and then because of our sin, we forget what we've learned and have to be reminded of those things over and over again. And so what does Paul want Timothy to remember here? It's Jesus Christ. And when he says remember, it's not passive. He's not, he's not simply saying don't forget, but it's actually active. He's telling Timothy to be proactive in engaging his mind concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He just told him a verse earlier in verse 7, think over what I say. So the idea is call to mind intentionally the Lord Jesus Christ. We naturally call things to mind on a regular basis, whether it's for work or for school, business, family, leisure. We're constantly fixing our minds on different things. Paul is telling Timothy, fix your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we head to Philly, I want to say the same thing. Delray Baptist Church, fix your minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his glorious person, that he is the eternal Son of God, God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Remember that he is the Word who was in the beginning with God and who was God, that he is equal in essence with the Father. Remember that all that can be said about the Father's divine nature can properly be said about the Son as well. As the Catechism put it, this God who is infinite in being and perfection, unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. These things are all true of God the Father, and they're also true of God the Son. Remember Jesus Christ and his glorious person. This is the reason why when Jesus quieted the storm in Matthew 14, verse 33, and it says, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus did not stop them. He did not stop them from worshipping him because Jesus knew exactly who he was. It's why it says of Jesus, he said in John chapter 5, verse 21, as, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he pleases. Or in John 14, 9, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Or in John 8, 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Remember Jesus Christ. And remember that this word, this eternal word became flesh so that not only is Jesus the son of God, he's also the son of man, as we just sang in stricken, smitten, and afflicted. 100% God, 100% man, two natures united in one glorious person. That of his incarnation, John Owen said, he became what he wasn't without ever ceasing to be what he was. David's son, yet 
David's Lord. Remember the glorious person of Christ. Remember the preexistence of Christ. As Jesus prayed in John 17, 5, he said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Remember the preexistence of Jesus. Remember his perfect life, that Jesus fulfilled God's law perfectly, internally and externally, that every thought that Jesus had was a sinless thought, that every word that Jesus spoke was a sinless word, that every deed that Jesus did was a sinless deed. He committed no sin, nor was there deceit found in his mouth. Remember the perfect life of Jesus. Remember his sacrificial death, that on the cross, Jesus suffered the full weight of the fury and wrath of God against sin, that he laid down his life as a substitute in the place of all who would trust him, including you, if you trust in him this morning. 1 Peter 2.24 says of our Lord that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Remember the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember his glorious resurrection, that Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but that on the third day he rose from the grave and that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death. It says a chapter earlier in verse 10 of chapter 1 that Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. When you're tempted to sin, remember Jesus Christ, that he himself suffered when tempted, so he's able to help those who are being tempted. When someone has sinned against you, remember Jesus Christ, that he has endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you've fallen into sin, remember Jesus Christ, that he is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, that is, the wrath-absorbing substitute for our sins. When you're discouraged, remember Jesus Christ, who said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When you're sick, remember Jesus Christ, that one day our body will be transformed to be like his glorious body. When you're healthy, remember Jesus Christ and give him thanks, like the leper who was healed and returned to express his gratitude to Jesus. When you're anxious about finances, remember Jesus Christ, who said, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Oh, of how much more value are you than the birds? You considering doing something difficult for the Lord or going out for the sake of his name? Remember Jesus Christ, who said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Children, we're my children in the building. Children, remember Jesus Christ. 
Remember that you were made for his glory. He made you for himself. And he made you to live and to honor him and to love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. In your youth, kids, remember Jesus Christ. Fathers, remember Jesus Christ in your homes as you lead your families, that your home would be a sanctuary where God is acknowledged and worshipped. Moms, remember Jesus Christ, both his power to save your children as well as his acceptance of you when you feel like a failure. Deacons, deacons in the building, as you serve the Lord, remember Jesus Christ, the ultimate deacon who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And elders, as you lead this congregation, remember Jesus Christ, the good shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Remember both his toughness towards the Pharisees and remember his tenderness towards the broken. Remember Jesus Christ. Older saints, remember Jesus Christ who says in Isaiah 46, verse 4, Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Delray Baptist Church, remember Jesus Christ. brings us to our next phrase, risen from the dead. Paul wants to remind Timothy in the face of his suffering that Jesus is risen from the grave. It's his way of saying that whatever it is that's causing you to shrink back in fear and to be ashamed, you don't have to worry because the worst that your opponents can do to you is kill you, and Jesus has already defeated death. And so Paul mentions it here because the resurrection is at the heart of our message. We don't proclaim a dead Savior, but a living Savior. And let's always keep that in mind. You know, some people who participate in religious things, they participate not because they think it's necessarily true, but because religion promotes good things like, like good morals and values, and, and it helps to make us better people. But to approach Christianity this way is absolutely foolish. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no reason to be here this morning. For what? We could have just slept in. It's a nice day outside. Go play golf or something. There's no reason to be in church if Jesus is not risen from the dead. The same author, the Apostle Paul, put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. No resurrection, no Christianity. Jesus is risen from the dead. And I just want to briefly lay out three implications of Jesus' resurrection, why this is good news. Number one, because because Jesus is risen from the dead, one, Jesus is presently reigning. Jesus is presently reigning. That's what it means in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says of Jesus, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This means that we don't have to despair particularly about all the evil that we see in the world. In the face of terrorism, the persecution of Christians, abortion, the abuse of power, etc., we're right to be grieved, but we don't have to despair because Jesus Christ is in full control. Nothing catches him off guard. And in some mysterious way, Everything that's happening in the world is working according to his plan. And so let the present reign of Christ comfort your souls this morning. Second implication of Jesus' resurrection, being risen from the dead, is that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. So in John 15, 26, Jesus speaks of the Spirit, and he says that he will send the Spirit to you from the Father. And that could only happen once Jesus died and was raised from the dead. So John 16, verse 7 says, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, speaking of the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is great news for the Christian because it means that we have God's help as we pursue holiness in this life. It means that he who supplies the Spirit does great things in our lives as we hear the word with faith. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us to understand the word of God. He helps us to fight against our sin. He helps us to love one another. He helps us to pray. He helps us to serve God, all of which would be impossible if Jesus didn't send him after being raised from the grave. Then the third implication of Jesus being risen from the dead is Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who is in, indeed is interceding for us. This means that if you are trusting in Christ this morning, that you are absolutely secure. As Jesus so, told Peter, he said, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In the same way, he continually prays for God's people that we would be kept by God. If you are a Christian this morning, it's because you are being kept by God. 
As I think back even over these last two years, I know people who two years ago were professing to be Christians and now have completely walked away from the faith. Scary and sobering reality. And when I think about that and I think about, well, what's the difference between me and the guy that I prayed with, we were in the same worship services together, we sang the same songs, now he denies Jesus and I still believe in Jesus. What's the difference I can only chalk it up to the grace of God. It's, it's not owing to anything in me. It's owing to the power of God to keep his people. And that's something for which we should have much gratitude on a regular basis. Jesus continually prays for his people that we will be kept. And God hears Jesus' prayers because all of Jesus' prayers are according to God's perfect will. It's why Hebrews 7.25 says of the Lord Jesus, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This means that if you are truly trusting in Jesus Christ, you will never be condemned. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, all because Jesus is risen from the dead. Our desire, RCF, Brian and I and our families, our desire is that we would continue to partner with Delray in the gospel for many years to come. But... The reality of Jesus' intercession means that no matter what happens, even if we don't see each other again in this life, we'll meet again at the resurrection, never to part again. Jesus interceding for us is our hope of reuniting with him. With that said, let's continue to consider as we consider the offspring of David, the offspring of David. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. In reminding Timothy of the core of the message that he's suffering for, the Apostle Paul includes this phrase, the offspring of David. Now, this is significant for at least two reasons. First, it's significant because it means that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. As, as Garrett just talked about from Psalm 89, there's a promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And it says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And it shows the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is that Jesus did not just burst on the scene out of nowhere, but his coming was predicted for thousands of years beforehand. It's why in the very first verse in the Gospel of Matthew, he's careful to note in verse 1 that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. We need to remind our Orthodox Jewish friends of this truth. That is, there's no need to wait for a coming Messiah. The Messiah has already come, and his name is Jesus Christ. Second, this is significant because it means that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Consider the patience of God in causing Jesus to be a descendant of David. He made the promise centuries before. So that means that over the course of many centuries, you have the rising and the falling of nations. You have war. You have exile. You have returns from exile. Through all of this, God was at work. And then, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God keeps his promises. And so therefore, if he can keep them on a macro level in redemptive history, he can certainly keep his promises in your life if you're trusting in him. He can and will keep his promise to love you with an everlasting love. He can and will keep his promise to sustain you guiltless to the end. He can and will keep his promise to present you faultless before his glorious throne with great joy. He can and will keep his promise to sanctify you more and more, to provide for you whatever God has promised. In Christ, it is yes and it is amen. And so that brings us to our final phrase this morning, as preached in my gospel. At the end of the day, for the Apostle Paul, it always comes back to the gospel. And as I close, I want to include two words on this point. A word to the elders and a word to the congregation. First to the elders. Garrett. Ben, is Ben here? Ben, there you are. Eric, David, John, my brother, Mark, where's Mark? Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul Douglas isn't here. I want to give Paul a shout out as well. Yeah. Is Paul where? He's, uh, well, oh, amen. You think I don't know who the elders are? Uh, amen. Amen. That's good. Good looking. Brian Fajito. And Gordon, had the pleasure to serve with Gordon as well. Is Gordon here? Yeah, I see you. There you are, brother. Brothers, thank you. I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, cannot think of a better group of brothers to serve with than you. I, I aspire to be like you in many ways. You guys have challenged me. You have served our family so well. You've been a great source of encouragement 
and great blessing to us. And I praise God for all of you and give you give God so much thanks for you. And my my exhortation to you brothers preach the gospel. <laughs> Preach the gospel. You notice what Paul says here? He says, he says, as preached in my gospel. Notice that he doesn't say as preached in one of the gospels or one of many gospels. There is only one gospel. And elders, preach it. Preach the gospel. At the end of the day, this church... God's church has been built on faithfulness to the gospel. And churches that die usually die because of departures from the gospel. Don't assume the gospel. Don't get bored with the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel that includes the bad news that we're all condemned to die before a holy God. Preach the gospel that includes the bad news that if we were to be left in our sin, then we would suffer the everlasting torments of a holy God forever and ever. Preach the gospel that not only includes that bad news, but also includes the good news that God sent his son into the world and that Jesus lived a perfect life, and that he died as a substitute on the cross, and that he was raised from the grave with all power, and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that he's coming back to judge the world. Preach that gospel, brothers. I also want to encourage you to not only preach it, but to protect it. Protect the gospel. Protect the gospel from misunderstandings. Protect the gospel from abuses. Protect the gospel from false teachers. Satan would like nothing more than to cause the leaders of this church to become complacent with the gospel because we've we've just preached it so much. Maybe they want to hear something else. Don't give in to that lie. By the grace of God, every Sunday that I've been here, the gospel has gone forth from that pulpit. And my charge to you, brothers, is every Sunday that I'm gone, may the gospel continue to go forth from this pulpit. And may that gospel not only be preached in words from the pulpit, but may elders, brothers, may you model what it looks like, sacrificial, the sacrificial love of Christ, what it looks like as you, as you love your wives and your families. May, may the gospel that is proclaimed from this pulpit be adorned with holy living. Brothers, preach and protect the gospel. Congregation, brothers, sisters at Del Rey, I want to encourage y'all. First of all, I want to thank you. Thank you for putting up with me, and thank you for loving me and my wife and my family so well. When I think about the congregation at Del Rey, you, you are some of the dearest people.
people in this world. I, I look at you as, as the people of whom this world is not worthy because I've seen you, I've watched your lives. I've watched you persevere in the midst of unspeakable trials. I've watched you cling to faith in Christ in the face of fear. I've watched you hold on to Jesus in the midst of aching pain in your body. I've seen your lives. I've seen the outcome of your faith. I've seen your love. And I give God all the glory for it. And I just want to say to you, congregation, (laughs) proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. It's not just for the elders to preach the gospel. It's for all of us who believe it to preach the gospel. So proclaim it in your schools. Proclaim it on your jobs. Proclaim it in your homes. Proclaim it around your unsaved family members. Proclaim it wherever God gives you opportunity to proclaim it. Proclaim the gospel to others. But then secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, I want to encourage you to preach the gospel to yourselves. Proclaim the gospel to yourself. Every morning when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to forget everything. So tomorrow morning, when you're tempted to forget what was preached from this pulpit, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that you are accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself that there was nothing that you could do to make yourself right with God. And so there's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Remind yourselves in the midst of conflict that Jesus has accepted you, so therefore you can accept this brother or sister with whom you're in a conflict. Proclaim the gospel to yourselves when you're offended by someone else, and just remember that Jesus died for you, and Jesus has forgiven you, so you can forgive the one who has sinned against you. Proclaim the gospel to yourselves. Brothers and sisters, it's going to be a very short time before we are all standing before the throne of God, before we all have to give an account to God, before those who've trusted in Christ will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye to behold our Savior as he is. And so in the meantime, my encouragement to you is to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how great is your name in all the earth. Father, we bless you for the gospel. We thank you that it is true yesterday, it's true today, it will be true tomorrow. We pray, God, that even now by your spirit, you would be at work in convincing those who may not believe of the truthfulness of these things communicated today. And we all 
those who have looked to you with faith, we will all just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We can't wait, Lord, until we're around your throne, giving you the praise that you deserve and glorified bodies. But until then, Lord, would you keep us faithful? And would you help us to always remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel? Do these things for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.